You're listening to Defence Research, a podcast on enhancing defence capability through groundbreaking research. Good day, listening audience, and welcome back to Defence Research, a podcast that talks about defence research as an instrument of national power, bringing together defence, academia, and industry. I'm Paul Madison, uh, Director of the Defence Research Institute at the University of New South Wales. And welcome to this very special episode. It's the first uh, episode of season two. And it's additionally special because we have an extraordinary guest with us today, um, that being uh, Professor uh, Tanya Monroe, Australia's chief defence scientist. Um, Tanya is a renowned Australian physicist, known for her work in photonics. Uh, she has been Australia's chief defence scientist, or CDS, for three years now, um, since March 2019. And prior to that, Tanya was the Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research and Innovation at the University of South Australia. Tanya, thank you for coming on the show. Paul, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Uh, Tanya, um, before we get into a deeper discussion about your role as uh, Chief Defence Scientist, I think it would be good for our listening audience to get a bit of a sense of, of who you are and, and, and what makes you tick. And I came across an article recently that was um, published several years ago in 2015 with a great title, uh, Tanya Monroe's uh, Brilliant Career. Uh, it was a really good article. I enjoyed reading about it. And um, it described your love of both music and physics and, and how you have pursued and continue to pursue a passion for both. And so I, I'd just like to ask you, do you see physics and, and music as manifestations of the same thing? It's a wonderful question, Paul, and for me they are. For me, both physics and music are about creativity. They're about inspiration. They're about challenging the individual and the team to create something that hadn't previously been possible. And to me, the minute I decided I wanted to be a physicist was when I realised that it was at its heart a creative endeavour. It was about asking the best questions and discovering and applying knowledge to problems. And, and at that point, I was hooked. And I think it's probably easier to be a professional physicist and an amateur musician than the other way around. <laughs> yeah, very but, good. <laughs> but, but I think that, you know, getting the message out that, you know, the best science is asking the best questions and bringing together people from all different disciplines and backgrounds to solve problems yeah. um, never gets tiring. It's always energising because you make a difference. Right. So we're, we're both parents and we've had our kids come home from, from school, you know, wondering about math and, 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 and physics and, and then perhaps music might be part of the conversation. How do you engage with, with youth or with, um, with undergraduate students to, to, to communicate the, the, this sort of message, this passion you have in, in a way that would attract more um, Australians in, into defence research as a, you know, as a STEM pursuit? Look, what a, another great question. Um, I think it, it's about changing the conversation. You know, we still struggle in Australia to get the numbers of our bright young people that we need into the STEM subjects. And I think one of the challenges we have is that often parents and careers advisors don't quite know what a profession or a career in science looks like. And I think also culturally, um, we shy away a little bit from things that are considered hard. And that's for me where the nexus between physics 
and science in general and maths and music comes together. Because in my house, music's almost a religion. I'd say actually it probably is, in that um, if you support and encourage and nurture a young child to be persistent and work hard at music, they start off making these horrible scratchy, squeaky sounds and they end up creating so much joy and pleasure for themselves and others because, not because of any particular talent or gift necessarily, but because of learning the value of hard work and persistence and little pays off more insides. You know, the very fact that something's challenging really intrinsically means there's more difference you can make with it if you stick at it. Yeah, very good. So m more, more cellists and more... Uh, clarinet players in, in, in DST is, is, is the way forward, I'm sure. So look, Tanya, um, you've been the CDS now for, for three years. You came into defense from a career in academia. Um, what is it that attracted you to the role in the first place, and, and, and has the promise of the role lived up to its expectations for you? For me, when I was approached about the CDS role and I really sat down and had to think about it, the attraction was clear and it was the fact that there's no other organisation in Australia that has such a clear and immediate hunger and need from its client for the outcomes and impact of science and technology. We have in our ADF, you know, a really intelligent and hungry user of emerging disruptive technologies. And in Australia, we have an incredible closeness between Defence Science and Technology Group and our ADF. We're side by side, embedded within the Department of Defence. And so we sit between the worlds of defence and its requirements and some of the really hard capability questions that we need to keep our men and women in our ADF safe, prepared and able to shape, deter, respond. But we are also researchers, scientists, engineers, technologists who connect with that broader ecosystem nationally and internationally. So for me, when I reflected on was this a good next step for me or could I make a difference, what I realised is that um, by better harnessing and activating the national ecosystem to get after defence's biggest problems, I could make a difference through science and technology by by helping align and grow. Really, you know, the three words I use is um, focus, making sure we're working on the right problems, the most important problems. And, and if I reflect back on the DSTG that I inherited, while there were many amazing things about this wonderful 115-year-old organisation, we just celebrated our birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, one thing I would observe about the DSTG I inherited is that through trying to accommodate the user needs and not say no when we could help, which is a natural response, we were like Vegemite spread so thin on toast it was hardly able to be seen. And that we were often only one illness or retirement away from losing something critical. So what we've made a deliberate shift towards is building some scale around the areas of focus so we can deliver impact. And we don't do that alone. We do that through and with our partners as well. Thank you. Um, I, I, I like how you describe the relationship between DST and, and the ADF. Um, and, and can you talk a bit more about how that works for you? Yes. The, 
you know, we know operators they, they deploy either domestically or or um, in an expeditionary sense. They're engaged across the spectrum of operations, including combat. There are lessons that are identified. The, the operating environment is is constantly evolving, and operators come back with with recommendations that inform future requirements. Yes. How how does that conversation? Um, make its way into DST so, so that you and your, re um, your principal defense scientists are anticipating and working lockstep with the ADF in, in order to drive together towards sustaining that competitive advantage in the, in, in, in the future operating environment. Look, this is the key thing, and this is really the value proposition of the group, of DST group, because... It comes really from the way we're embedded within the department. So if I just describe a few of the ways we do that, you'll get a sense of the overall mosaic. It ranges from each of the services, Army, Navy, Air Force, etc., all of the key clients. We have an embedded scientific advisor who's a senior scientist within the group that sits in the headquarters with the explicit responsibility of trying to connect the requirements of that service to our enterprise and make our ADF colleagues aware of what we can do and what we're doing and how we can help. Ranges right through to deploying scientists. Just this morning I endorsed the deployment of a scientist to theatre. We have scientists alongside deployed ADF so they can see firsthand some of the issues, so they can do some of the science required to help at the pointy end. Excellent. I think often when we think of defence science, it's easy to think of it from the lens of, say, an academic doing research, developing a technology that might be relevant to defence. What you don't see is all the things that can only be done in government. So... For example, um, in our Agile Command and Control Starshot, we have folk that live inside H Quarters Jock and at Bungendore and right. through that deep embedded partnership where my scientists are seen as part of the fabric of that operational headquarters, they've been able to do experiments on the best way we can essentially take the deluge of information that comes into decision makers in our in a conflict or operational scenario and work out how we can redesign the headquarters to enable better decisions to be made. And that now is the way we're the only operational headquarters in the world that has been redesigned through science. So that's just a lovely example of something that can only be done in government. That's a great, that's a great example. And th thank but, you. But, but there's, there's many ways we do it. And probably yeah. the other thing to say is that since the first principles review yeah. back in 2015, year by year, We've been evolving what we call our investment process, which is an annual cycle that essentially reshapes the offering of what the group does to support the department to align it towards the highest priorities within defence. And that matures each year and is increasingly encompassing not just what we and the DSTG scientists do, but what our partners do and how that delivers on the highest priority requirements. Outstanding. Um, it's a step in the direction, but oh, there's oh. a long way to go because the space changes so fast. Yeah, but yeah, you know, bringing people together to 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 work together, to to to, try to, to learn about one another's culture, and 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 then to through that generate a, a new kind of combined culture uh, based on trust and respect. You know, that that's how teams, I think, really find success. Look, it is, and if I may, just to build on that, um, I know that it's the 
close connection between the ADF and my scientists that is our magic source. Yeah. But the journey we're on now is to try and create that kind of magic source with our university partners, right. with our industry partners as well, and where right. it makes sense, co-locating them on shared goals. A good example, actually, is the newly opened Eagle Farm Hypersonics Precinct. Right. Right. Where we have embedded defence scientists, ADF, industry colleagues, academic colleagues, and the only times you can really tell is they might wear a different T-shirt. Right. And I must say that uh, here at UNSW, we have a number of hypersonics uh, researchers who um, know very well uh, the team that's active at Eagle Farm and, in fact, are working with them on various aspects of of hypersonics. And not all cooperation has to be co-located, but sometimes when you've got really bespoke infrastructure, it just makes it hum. Very good. So, you know, listening to you, Tanya, I'm sure our, our listeners would get a sense of you as a, as a transformational leader, and, and certainly that is your reputation. And, and, and your, your more together DST strategy, which you sort of laid out um, in 2020, um, you know, focused around, you know, the, the star shots, the kind of galvanized activity and priority um, around disruptive technologies. But I had the sense of when reading more together and having talked to you uh, over the past couple of years that it was as much about culture change in DST as it was about driving towards uh, technological solutions. Um, So I'm just wondering, what have you, you know, what have you learned on this on this journey, Mm. and and, um, in in terms of more together, Mm. um, the star shots and culture, um, and, and are you satisfied with the progress that your team has made? It's a great um, pause for reflection there. A couple of comments. More together is often interpreted as a DST group strategy, and it's actually the defence science and technology strategy. Right. Thank you. And while it might seem a subtle distinction, it's actually quite a profound shift and challenge as well, both in terms of our internal culture but the broader departmental culture as well. So... For example, it reflects that now as capability manager for innovation, science and technology, I'm accountable for making sure the department, when it engages with external research providers, does that in a way that is not duplicative, is um, consistent in terms of how we handle security, and I guess that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. In terms of progress and culture and your comments, I guess the very act of shifting to mission-directed research through Starshots was really meant to drive aspiration and ambition and the level of challenge taken on. Because there's always a risk in an organisation like mine that you try to do something you know you can deliver that has modest gains rather than really trying to shift the game. And we're a modest size um, defence force. And, you know, R&D is a critical part of providing disruptive technology, but we know that we can only do some of it because of scale. So part of the More Together strategy has actually been a very deliberate play to change the way we work with our international partners and our allies. Because what has it has allowed us to shift in that space is to take very deep, long-standing partnerships with the US, the UK, Five Eyes partners and beyond, which have been in many cases bottom-up aggregations of activities, much like happens in the academic world, 
to really national level conversations about our shared priorities and where we want the balance of activities. So I'm really proud of the way More Together has started to shape the strategic focus of science, not just here, but with our partners. Now, in terms of my level of comfort with progress, I think the star shots are transformative, but that it's a journey. And, you know, we've shifted significant resource to the star shots internally. What I'm really excited by whenever it happens is seeing the star shots drive alignment in the external environment with our academic partners, with our industry. Particularly if it's industry engaging early and putting a bit of money at risk on yep. early stage tech. I think we've got, got to get better at the way we engage with industry early. That's a bit of a work in progress. But it's very exciting to see. And, you know, the recent University of Adelaide UNSW Trailblazer <laughs> announcement is a great example, I think, of that external sector responding to Defence's highest priorities and backing that and putting real investment and focus on that. So I'm very excited by that type of response. In terms of culture change, I think we still do have a risk that we try to do everything and we've got to get better. And this is within my own organisation at saying no and finding ways to transition out or not do the things that are not the burning priorities. And this is a problem across our whole department. It's a problem, I guess, intrinsic to a APS and government environment. But it takes courage, and courage is one of the defence values. So I work with my people to try and get better and better at trying to work with our clients when they want something that, of course, is of value to them, but may not in the pecking order stack up as one of the, the top 10 things to try and work at how they can get where they need to go without spreading us again thin. Um, so that is part of the, the focus of More Together. What I would say has really shifted since More Together, and it's interesting, I feel very um, pleasantly surprised at just how um, More Together works in the current strategic environment. You know, it's, um, you know, I have no doubt we will need to refresh and update over time, but it, I think it holds us in good stead for now. Um, what is really shifting is increased emphasis on pull-through and acceleration of pull-through to capability and increased emphasis on doing that in an in enhanced mutual reliance with our allies and an increased emphasis on, um, you know, using things like trials and exercises and experimentation to fast-track how we do that. And I think that fits in beautifully with the Starshot thinking um, and, you know, even things like... Um, my counterpart in the US, Heidi Hsu, who's coming out for the ADSTAR conference um, to, uh, very shortly, you know, her signature radar program, you know, three of um, those radar announcements had international elements at their heart and two of those were Australian. So if you look, if you look at how often we in Australia say, oh, we're just small, we're not great in the innovation or technology development space, well... International superpowers don't agree with that. I agree. And so I, I, I know I've morphed my answer, but I really think actually we've got to change the way we talk about what we do here. Because while we can't do everything, we do some amazing things here yeah. in our industry, at our universities and in government. So thank you for that, Tanya. And, and you know, when I, when I introduced this, um, this, this podcast, I talked about defence research as an instrument of national power. And over the past couple of years, that relationship between universities, industry, and, and DST, defense, ADF, 
has really um, evolved, I think, um, in, in a, a deliberate and, and very constructive way. Um, you know, the universe, the, the, you have assigned senior executives within your organization to, to manage the, the, that relationship with the universities. Um, there's it's a the bit like the um, parallel I gave with the international space, actually, that yep. just to make sure we've got more of a strategic focus on what we do together. Yeah. Yeah. So we're seeing more structure. We're, we're, we're seeing uh, the ability through the Australian Defence and Security University networks that are state-based. We're, we're, we're seeing more alignment, more, more coherence. Um, there's, when we talk to academics across the, the faculties who are... Um, migrating towards defense research is a value proposition for them, especially with, especially with dual-use technologies. The narrative around this is much easier um, to, to kind of describe because you've kind of laid that out and, and you've made it clear. Um, and I think universities and, and industry are quite excited about this. Um, you, you, you've made it clear that there's, there's a great desire uh, within DST to, to, to um, engage and energize the, the potential um, for accelerating that uh, full TRL defense research capacity um, th through greater integration. Mm -hmm. and, and, the, and you mentioned Trailblazer. Uh, you know, at UNSW and Uni Adelaide, we're, we're, at, we're just thrilled by uh, the Commonwealth's decision here to, 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 to pick up our, our proposal. Um, with your support, um, you know, you, you, you uh, wrote a letter of support for that proposal, which we are very grateful for. Um, but but that's an example to yeah. me of bringing more together to life because yeah. what that does is, in my view, responds to the priorities laid out through right. the star shots and then harnesses the system, right. which is wonderful. So, yeah. you know, it's a journey we're just starting so together. Yeah, we are we are starting, and you know, you know, we've got AUKUS, we've got the Quad, we have some very concerning geostrategic uh, developments, um, w w whether it's. Um, uh, what's happening in Beijing, what's happening in Eastern Europe. Are, are you comfortable that we are accelerating fast enough um, t towards ensuring that the ADF is enabled to be, su to, to be successful across the spectrum of operations 5, 10, 15 years from now? I'm never comfortable. I think our biggest risk in this space is anything that smells in the slightest bit like complacency. Very good never comfortable the you know the challenges are real the deterioration of the strategic environment is faster than anticipated but i have a lot of energy and hope for what we can do and i would argue that science and tech is an under rated or under-recognized element of this global strategic power and nothing can show the difference between the way we work with our allies and some of our um, potential adversaries than our ability to work together. And I think that is powerful as a deterrence. But if it stays at the S&T cooperation level, then it doesn't have that impact. And that's right. why it's just so critical to focus on both, you know, that enhanced mutual reliance. I mean, to make it real, you know, there are technologies Australia has absolutely in and real niche edge. And you know, it's only relatively recently, if I just pick the US as an example, it's only relatively recently that there's a clear recognition from our closest ally that they can't do everything and that they want to lean on us a bit more in some key areas. What a wonderful opportunity for Australia. But I'm not complacent and I'm not comfortable because we're 
a medium-sized power. Our scale of our enterprise, while it's big by Australian standards, is still small on that international scale. So we have to be so focused and we have to be nimble. And both of those things can be hard and we always have to challenge ourselves and be challenged by others. So I think, you know, we're going to learn how to do this better. Yeah. I think the best way to do it is just get on and crack on in some specific instances and learn the lessons um, rather than trying to create a perfect system because there never is one. And it all comes down to people and relationships as well. 100%. Um, speaking of people and relationships, you, you, you um, mentioned Heidi Shu earlier. Um, you posted a photo um, a couple of months ago. You were at a, um, a Pacific Operational Science and Technology Conference, and it's a photo of you and Heidi Shu and, and Dame Angela and, McLean. And Dame yeah. Angela McLean. So yeah. um, uh, Heidi Shu being the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering in the U.S., uh, Angela McLean being the Chief Scientific Advisor to the Minister of Defense in the U.K. Um, how important is it for you that the, the three most senior defence scientists in the UK, the United States and Australia are, are, are women. Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's certainly been a rapid change of tide. And in fact, in the TTCP, so the Five Eyes um, community, up until recently, four of the five principals were female. Wow. So um, New Zealand? New Zealand yeah. was the remaining male. And now we're three out of five, so we're still, you know, doing pretty well. Um, and... Look, I think probably the most important aspect is I hope it signals to girls and women that this is an exciting, rewarding path and that there are role models if they want to take that path. Um, for me personally, it's quite um, energising to have to not always be the only woman in the room, as it was in earlier parts of my career. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, diversity always adds value and you know even if you just look at um dame angela's background in virology and and heidi shoe's amazing track record coming up um through the u.s military system where each is different from each other as you could possibly imagine <laughs> but it's an engaged dynamic and very respectful um piece and i think actually it's it's an enormous load off your shoulders to have a counterpart with similar challenges that you yeah. can talk to and get inspired by so I, I'm very grateful to be part of this wonderful international band of women. Well, I'm inspired by it. it um, you know, as somebody who grew up in a um, wearing a uniform, um, welcoming and and nurturing women uh, into our ranks, I, I think this is just an extraordinary um, example of of leadership, um, diversity, and and what a great example for young women, as you said, looking up. Do, do you um, do you have time in in, in your role to um, to, to meet with young uh, women yeah. and, and uh, girls and, and they, they must look to you as such an inspiration. Oh, look, I do, I do some of that and I'm a very passionate advocate for things like the SAGE initiative, which I was one of the co-founders of when I was in the university space, um, which is Science Australia Gender Equity across our universities and research organisations. Um, and... I'm um, a part of the Champions of Change Coalition as well. And in fact, our Navigate program, which is in its yes. first cohort at the moment, bringing in mid-career folk um, from industry and academe into defence and taking some of our high potential mid-career folk in defence and giving them experience in industry and academe, was born out of um, 
me being put in the position by the champions of change of having to articulate my grand challenge. Oh, very good. My big hairy goal that I wanted to do to try and drive gender change. It's probably worth reflecting, you know, you could look at the leaders of each of the AUKUS nation science, defence science, and say, oh, job done. But there's actually no room for complacency. The numbers of women and girls coming through, particularly in STEM qualifications, the number of women in my organisation, still, I still have challenges. Yeah. You know, you do find that you actually have to tap women on the shoulder often to get themselves to consider a promotion, consider applying for a role. Um, and there's a hollowness. There's not, you know, the balance that I would like to see. And in some sense, the Navigate program um, was a direct response to that. So we set ourselves a 40-40-20 target to say it's not a women-only program. It's just the target was to have 40% women, 40% men, and 20% of whoever was best yeah. in the remainder. And actually what's interesting is that, you know, you don't have to lower the bar to get to that. We've got 43% women in the initial cohort. You don't have to lower the bar. You just have to signal it. And what happens is in signalling, good women think, oh, I might have a chance. Excellent. So it comes down to confidence. And I think still one of the biggest gaps between men and women in STEM, particularly early career, but honestly, for myself, even at my stage, confidence. Hmm. Confidence is the thing that, you know, I think we have to watch out for as a confidence gap between men and women. And as the mother of three STEM uh, young men in my life, I see that, you know, there is just a confidence gap. They, the te- general attitude um, often, and I, I know I'm generalising, of men will be, I'm good at this, I'll give it a crack. And often women think, oh, can I do it? Am I good enough? So anything we can do as interventions that reduce that gap is, makes a difference. And you're setting such a fine example. I do what I can. In that regard. Um, but but I'd yeah. just love to emphasise the fact that anything a leader does is really about the team they create. Yeah. It's not about me as an individual. Yeah. You know, uh, I've got a fabulous team. I'm very proud of them. Yeah. And we are together driving transformation of my organisation. And, you know, in fact, we're in the middle of a significant restructure at the moment. Um, and, you know, it's energising because it drives the conversations of what's the difference you want to make and how can you challenge the status quo to make that. So the restructure is, um, I think, effective uh, the first, first, of, of, first July. of July? Correct. Um, just briefly, what, what are the kind of the highlights of the restructure at DST? The core driver is really recognising that at the moment, my senior leaders at a number of layers in my organisation have multiple responsibilities. They're responsible for delivering outcomes to the ADF, to domains, to programs. Um, and they're also responsible for what we call, you know, like the raise, train, sustain of the science capability. Everything from building the partnerships with the university areas or building capacity inside the organisation. Those two responsibilities are always in tension, largely because of resource constraints and time and energy. So the job's never done. Right. And if you have to prioritise, you know, for example, delivering to your ADF client, which you do because, you know, they're the ones who need the outcome, you'll often then not get to the things you have to be able to do in order to be able to deliver that, like build the partnerships, build the capacity. And so what I've done with this restructure, after a lot of consultation and work with colleagues and partners, is recognise that we need to have two different flavours of leaders within the organisation. 
those that are responsible for capability development, those that decide what it is that has to be done within government, what infrastructure do we need, what kind of people and skills do we need, what kind of person is a defence scientist inside government, how do we partner? Those are the capability developers. Then we have another kind of leader, which is the program deliverer, responsible for harnessing that, sucking that in, shaping it into a program that delivers to the sponsors. And by having those people with distinct single accountabilities, then we can speed up a lot of the prioritisation and the things that get in our way at the moment. Now, that doesn't mean we're creating two halves of DST that might then be split off and do different things, like has happened in some other countries, because we've set it up that nothing is done by yourself. Okay. You do these things in partnership. So um, this is already driving a different dynamic in my leadership team, who will often go and see a client or a partner together, but they take different accountability and different responsibility for delivery, and I think that will drive agility. Excellent. Um, so you mentioned you're standing this up in July. Something else is happening in, um, of importance for you in July as well, and that's the AdStar Summit um, in Sydney, I think, the 20th to the 22nd correct, of July. Correct. AdStar Australian uh, Defence and Science Technology and research. And research Summit. Correct. So uh, l let's let's talk about that for for a moment or two. Of course, um, of course. This well, is the, this is the inaugural summit, I think. This is the inaugural summit. So yep. this has come out of um, quite a lot of reflection on how we as defence science within government engage nationally. So historically, we'd had um, mechanisms for bringing people into my organisation, and that's valuable because you build networks, you build awareness. But if you look at what's happened over the last couple of years, we now have a full national network of state-based research networks. It started in Melbourne with the Defence Science Institute, and now we have the full suite. And this is powerful because what it does, and it doesn't matter whether you're the DIP, the DIN, the DSI, you know, there's a number of different acronyms. They're all partnerships with the state government. They're all people on the ground that have a good understanding of the local ecosystem. Who are the industry players? Who are the SMEs? Who are the academics? And I have in every one of these networks, the associate director is one of my people yeah. in DST group. And they are responsible for connecting the state ecosystem into the federal ecosystem. With AdStar, what I was looking to do is to celebrate, recognise and activate that national network. Each of those state-based networks shouldn't be really purely about increasing that state's share of the pie. They have to be about creating that national ecosystem. So that works better if they know each other well and if there are those personal relationships. So the point of the AdStar Summit is really for the first time to take all those relationships, all that ambition, all that alignment and take it to the national stage and to build those relationships. And the, and the focus of this summit is resilience. And I think that's really topical given our um, external environment. Because I do think, fundamentally, as we discussed earlier, science and tech pulled through to capability is what underpins our national resilience. Thank you for that. Um, and, and I really appreciated your focus on the state networks. University of New South Wales, obviously, part of the Defence Innovation Network out of Sydney. And I'll put in a plug for Dr. Mark West, uh, just doing a fantastic job on behalf of your organisation. Um, 
and we're pretty excited about what, what's been coming out of the DIN. And it's interesting. The yeah. DIN is a great example. Um, they're all somewhat different, the yeah. state-based networks. I was involved in setting up the DIP in South Australia, right. so I know it well. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. But I think there's a lot more we can do by building, as I said, that at the national level, and that's what I'm aiming to do with this summit. Yeah, yeah so, so, so that was my, my next question was, yes. you know, um, all, all of these um, state-based networks have organically emerged. They are um, geared differently, um, not just the acronyms. No. Um, how do you, do, do you see a, a need to, to kind of put more structure around a national uh, network, or, or do you think as you're aspiring to do in Sydney in July, just, just bring people together and, and allow it to sort of organically e evolve. I think there's a number of different forward pathways for the national network of networks, and I haven't yet got an absolutely fixed view. I think elevating the way those networks work together is important. It's important also to recognise they already do meet regularly and share best practice. And I think that's a healthy first step. And because they're all at different stages of longevity, you know, they're sort of out of sync in when they do reviews and, and the like. I think um, we'll be at a point soon, I think within 18 months, two years, to have a well-informed view as to the degree to which we need to uniform, some, unif make more uniform some of the best practice or the degree to which we can just tolerate the diversity. Um, it's important to note, though, that all of them, the state networks, would not exist or thrive without the strong support of their state governments, and their state governments all have different <laughs> intrinsic reasons for wanting to support them. So I, I'm willing to tolerate a degree of diversity as long as we achieve outcomes through them, but this is something always under review as we go on. Well, fantastic. Um, I can tell you that we at the University of New South Wales um, and our... Uh, academic colleagues across Australia are really looking forward to the summit in Sydney uh, in July. It's a July. great chance to be face-to-face -face after so yeah. many virtual yeah. things. And, you know, um, we, we talked about Trailblazer earlier, um, a great opportunity to, to, to celebrate what that means um, and, and, and to use that particular success to, to inform um, uh, and energize uh, all of our colleagues across academia, industry, um, our ADF and, and DST partners, our, our international partners, you, you mentioned uh, Heidi Shu will, will, yes. will, will be in town. And some other key international yeah. colleagues as well. So it's a great chance to get a better yeah. understanding of the defence yeah. ecosystem. Excellent. Uh, the other thing I'd say is, you know, if you've got a great idea, something you'd like to, to pitch to defence, we have things like the Startup Alley and, right. you know, so it's going to be quite a broad church. There'll, you know, be a chance to exhibit um, or or present or just simply build networks. So I think it'll be a great event. Great, we look forward to it. Tanya, this has been a great conversation. Um, I've really appreciated your, your sort of frank and very um, enthusiastic description of, of, of what you've been leading and, 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 the, and how proud you are of the team around you. And I congratulate you for what you and your team are doing in partnership with the ADF uh, in, in service to Australia to the values we stand for, uh, including the shared values amongst our allies. Um, Thank you, Paul. I'd just like to give you a shout out too, actually, because um, I think you're a lovely example of um, somebody who's brought experience from 
you know, from working in the military world into a university setting. And I am a firm advocate for having more people cross those boundaries. That's the way we accelerate the culture change we need. Well, thank you for coming on to the show. Um, and uh, thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, listening to D Defense Research. Um, we will continue our conversations uh, with researchers and, and with defense and industry stakeholders uh, to highlight how university research uh, supports defense, uh, is critical to defense, and uh, national security capability development. Thank you for your time and, uh, and good day. If you'd like to know more about defense research at UNSW, visit the Defense Research Institute website at dri.unsw.edu.au. You can also follow the Defence Research Institute on LinkedIn and Twitter at UNSW DRI. Opinions expressed by individuals on the show are those of the individual unless stated otherwise. Defence Research is copyright of UNSW.